you embroider. I have many skills. Superpowers. Welcome to our uh, maiden podcast for the Feminerd Files. Uh, we're starting out with a group that we are calling the Feminerd Files Roundtable, uh, where we'll just have an open chat about different things going on. Um, and we are a pop culture podcast. We're not the first pop culture podcast, uh, and we're not even the first pop culture podcast with a feminist mostly queer perspective, uh, but we are all individuals here. We all have unique opinions, and we're here to share them with you. Uh, I am Becca. I'm Janae. I'm Monica. And Joy. And welcome. Okay, we will jump right in. We all saw uh, Wrinkle in Time last night, and we all felt very positively about it. Um, There are some things that we want to discuss and different opinions, but we just want to start out talking about how beautiful this movie was. Yeah, I really um, was in love with the visuals. And I think one of the things I've been craving a lot in movies in general is just like the saturation of color. Like I feel that the, for years and years and years, it's like grayscale and gritty and dark. And our world is so bright and colorful. And, you know, and I just felt like it captured that. Um, and I think I read something about the saturation of color, how it was very purposeful mm-hmm. and intentional. And I was just blown away by it. I wasn't sure how to think of it at first, just because, you know, I watch visuals all day and I watch a lot of dark, <laughs> dark content. And it's just like, whoa, shocking. Oh, yeah, that's the world right now. And it it's it's shockingly beautiful and that's what it is and I, I feel like we have numbed ourselves and dulled our color and that's what this whole movie is about is like shining your light and it was yeah it was gorgeous yeah or just sort of like even the set design of like the household oh my and god the bat, like yeah, the backyard too like the garden the, and the wind chimes mm-hmm. that we're playing it just seems so magical also or just even the there. skin tones. Like, a lot of times skin tones are dulled in a lot of movies. Mm. And I felt like everyone seemed so vibrant. Um, and even though there was dealing with some dark content or dealing with a lot of... Dealing, like, with fear and insecurity and things like that, they didn't show it through the color. They used other methods to do it, mm. which I thought was a really cool artistic choice. Absolutely. I think um, one thing that... Um, stood out to me was um i feel like ava duvernay does this in queen sugar which if you haven't seen you should um she spends a lot of time uh focusing on people's faces um and just close-ups of faces where you really get to see someone and to me that was all about visibility and representation Mm. because two a lot of these characters, um, especially Meg, don't necessarily see themselves the way that they think they're being seen or the way that they should be seen. So being able to just relish in the colors of these different skin tones and these different uh, costumes and just looking at someone for who they are for an extended period of time just relishing that I think was absolutely wonderful I agreed and they did it with every character um 
Mrs. What's it? That was Oprah Winfrey's character, right? No, that no that's she's Mrs. Mrs. Witch. Mrs. Witch. See, they all get like. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like even like the size of her and the costuming. But there were so many moments where it was just like her face, and you can see like the care she had for the people that she was with, and the care that she had for for Meg. And you can also see her as like, I don't want to give her the answer. <laughs> I just let her figure it out. So I thought that the face acting was really good. Yeah, absolutely. And and for what character Mrs. Witch really is, you know, she is actually all of them, you know, they're like these old beings, but they have, they all have trouble with words in the book, you know, so to have it translated through facial expressions is perfect because like, how do you translate that? And I think that was one thing that I kind of wanted a little bit more about was that um, barrier of language. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I, I needed that a little bit more, especially now I'm going to get the names wrong again. Who? Mrs. Mrs. Who? Yes. I felt I could have had more of her in there because she always had such... I relate to Mrs. Who. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and because um, she was always, I don't know, I had such a connection to her in the books. There was just something about her that she was my favorite like part of of them and just and trying to... And also, too, the, the trying to explain the Tesseract. Mm-hmm. And like the ant in the folding, um, yeah. I really miss that oh, scene that, in the that, book. Yeah, that, that yeah. wasn't actually in the movie. No, no they, they showed it, it was in the visually. Visually, it was in the um, Murray's presentation. Right. So, like when they were talking, it was shown in the the presentation right. that was going on behind them. Right. But yeah, I missed uh, Meg being able to explain to the, that. The actual yeah. wrinkling. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I think Mrs. What's It does in the book. With, with her, her dress. Skirt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, th- I felt like the introduction of um, Mrs. What's It and Mrs. Who was very rushed. Yeah. Um, I did too. We didn't really yeah. get a sense of who they were. And so um, that's where I felt like I kind of missed Mrs. Mm-hmm. Who being more... Um, involved and trying harder to express herself, but she doesn't have her own words. She has to use other people's uh, words. Other people's words, and um, I liked what she did. But um, yeah, when Mrs. What's It was introduced, it was very jarring. <laughs> well, because <laughs> that makes I sense. I mean, yeah. the event is jarring, but it was very quick, and we didn't really get a sense of, oh, this is this visitation is going to set these events. Uh, yeah, and then I think that's why, like, with the um, the milk scene at the very beginning, because if I remember in the book, there was, like, a quick mention of, like, the garden and, mm-hmm. and a couple of the characters, and so I was expecting things to be just kind of placed in real quick. Yeah. But it would be interesting to see what was on the cutting floor, too. Like, what, was, what was filmed and then what had to be taken in and out. Because um, I still think, overall, it really worked well for it, but... There's a couple of scenes that I wish would have been placed throughout the story. And especially like being a super fan yeah. <laughs> of the book and everything. I even super watched fan. the 2004 TV movie several times. Oh, I know. Oh, gosh, that movie. Yeah. I do think it's such an improvement from that. It definitely is. I mean, yeah. The one thing I liked about the 2004 version, I did like that Meg. You know, I thought she, she was an update at that time. Mm-hmm. And now we have this even awesome more update and it's like, oh, wow. But... I I feel like anyone who does make these movies tries to be as careful as possible to just keep the spirit 
yeah the movie and that's the hard thing i think in general that's really hard to do and i always have to tell myself that because i can be kind of a butthead in terms of like book to movie adaptations right but it's just such a different it's just such a different medium and kind of letting go of like what one medium translates into the other can be really hard for me um and so so a lot of times like well that's and i know we're not we'll talk about that eventually later but why i really enjoyed annihilation is that i didn't read the book and i wasn't i had no idea what i was expecting and i think kind of he's better than the book oh just you know good to know <laughs> well that's really awesome because yeah it's just i think this really um and i think that's why i've stopped like looking at criticisms stopped watching mm-hmm. previews is that so many people i think color the way you're supposed to watch a film um based on what they say about it right. um and so just having like that pure experience by yourself um, mm-hmm. with a movie. Absolutely. I think I used to be the same way. I used to be so um, judgmental about movie adaptations. Um, and now, again, I recognize it's a different medium. So I just have to say, okay, does this feel like the book? You know, is, mm-hmm. the, is the story the same? The plot may be changed, but it has to feel the same. So like the Lord of the Rings films, I feel like capture the books um, very well, but The Hobbit does not because it is no longer about the same story. Right. Um, and so the thing that I was missing in this um, adaptation of the film was um, when they went to... Camazots. Thank you. I can never get that right. Um, I felt like I really missed, um, like when the the they go into that neighborhood and the kids are bouncing the ball. I was waiting for the kid to drop the ball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so we're that, about that too. so that that it was almost not the the rhythmic bouncing that was freaky. It was like the consequence of someone getting out of, out that, of that rhythm. Really? So when they when they went into the beach scene rather than the kind of city the going to going to central intelligence. Yeah, it lost that, that. There was no fear. That that yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I would have liked to seen more of the um, the the people that live there and their and and how they were dealing with their fear and like reporting one another and this kind of having to go get re what's that called uh, where you get. <laughs> Brainwashed? Well, basically, re oh, oh reconditioned, reconditioned, where you get yes. where you get reconditioned. So I I was kind of expecting to see a little bit more of that, and oh, and like we were talking about earlier, there was like no real point of why uh, Mr. Murray was there and as a captive. It's like and what, yeah, why, why was he a threat? Was, why was the it keeping him? And and because um, basically in the book, it's because you know Mr. Murray would not. He resisted. They they bring up that word a lot too, resistance, which is. I also think he's a doctor. And oh, Doctor Murray, Professor Murray. Maybe they're both doctors. Both parents are so. Uh, Dad Murray. (laughs) (laughs) But he he resisted the it. Um, which was why he was held captive. And that wasn't super clear. Yeah, and also the idea of Charles Wallace, like in the book too, it's like the it wanted Charles Wallace. Because like even in the other books after it, like he's in many ways the protagonist. And it's kind of interesting, and Meg is like this side character in many ways. Like that's the story we get everything from. She's the one who narrates it. And and so I was expecting that to be explained a little bit more too. Um and I felt like the it kind of grabbed Charles Wallace a little too, too quickly. Fast, too fast. Like that, yeah. 
And I'm wondering, like, because the movie ended up being, like, what, two hours? I felt like we were there for a while. What? I think it was less. Less? It felt less. It's yeah, because we tessered. Oh, <laughs> we tessered. While we were watching <laughs> yes, the movie. We we'll have to look up the time. Because, um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just, and it's like, how much can you put in a film, too, sometimes? Um, but, and that's what that's what's nice about that medium of a book, is you have time for things to kind of, bleh. Yeah. What's that, whatever that word is. Yeah, I, yeah I, I felt like there could have been more time on camera. Um, sort of capturing Charles Wallace that the, yeah. because Charles Wallace is so brilliant and intuitive about his surroundings that he sort of just fell into it really quickly. Yeah. And I was kind of like, in, in the book, he fights it much more and, and Calvin's a part of that too. Trying well, to, he's like the pure light kind of character. Yeah. He's the Carol Ann. <laughs> so, so our, our, our minion Lauren showed that it is an hour and 49 minutes. Oh, oh this so it I feel robbed. We, we could have put some more into that. Maybe <laughs> I feel robbed Disney. <laughs> Have you noticed movies are starting to get towards those times, like almost close to two hours? Yeah, two two and a half to three. Yes. Yeah, you know, especially for the big epics, you know. Yeah, I think All it could. They could have added. Mm-hmm. They could have added some stuff to it then. Yeah, and speaking, but of- it's also a kid movie, so. Oh right, yeah. that's true. <laughs> Kids don't want to sit there for two and a half hours, I guess. Um, or maybe not. <laughs> Do you disagree? <laughs> Speaking of Charles Wallace, I also felt that in the book, um, which I read a few months ago, so I I re- don't remember every single detail, but I also kind of interpreted his being captured by the it um, was in part because he doesn't really have a relationship with his father. He was a baby right. when essentially when um mr murray disappeared, mr. Murray disappeared. and so dr. Meg, murray. dr murray dad murray mr dad murray <laughs> yes um when dad murray left um that meg is there to rescue her father and charles wallace is almost there to help and to experience this form of travel and this this new way of experiencing things oh, right. um, and that's partly why he was captured so easily because he had an ego like yeah he, he didn't have the relationship that meg had mm-hmm. and so you know that's why meg ends up having to be the hero because she's the one that has these relationships that is what brings her to to victory well not yeah that's interesting because that makes a lot of sense because you know we never really consider as like the way Charles Wallace is presented in some ways, we forget that, like, I'm sure he has abandonment issues with his dad or, like, he's never really gotten to know him or meet him. And There's a disconnect. Like, there's, there's, this, there's this pain that's been, like, lingering for four years in the family. And and, I, and he disappeared right after he came. So um, they don't really explore that or say that explicitly in the film, but maybe that's part of what was able to take him over was that, like, kernel of doubt of, like, this... That's interesting, the, the word you use, disconnect, mm-hmm. you know, because that is, Meg is kind of the glue to all the characters. And, you know, in order to fight the it, it is all about connection. It's all about light. It's all about love. Yeah, how we connect and in the universe. even though Charles Wallace is this genius protagonist, he hasn't been here long enough to really have those concrete mm, those connections. connections. Oh, yeah. 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 Or... And I know I might be jumping around, but it just strikes me now, like the idea of when um, Mrs. Who says um, the wound is where the light comes in, like and Charles Wallace is actually being cracked. 
Mm. And there's like light coming out Mm -hmm. and sort of this idea of, and I think that's one thing I really appreciated about the film. It wasn't like a love will conquer all. Right. It was more about there is darkness and there is fear and we it have is what it is and we have faults mm-hmm. but just because we have faults and fear and darkness doesn't mean we can't like thread light into the world mm-hmm. and i thought that was like a really beautiful message that i really really loved which makes me miss the character ant beast you know ant beast wasn't there for a second <laughs> you know they're when they're tussling they're like oh look it's ant beast like no, nah, that's all we get. <laughs> Wait, but, but I didn't like, even notice that. Where when yeah, was it happening? Um, it was when the Happy Medium, played by Zach Galifianakis, was um, Great helping Meg. Character <laughs> le- was yeah. was looking, and um, they he, they were going through all these different things, and like for a second they show um, and Beast or like what's the name what's the name of the the um, planet that Ant Beast is from? It's can't it's, remember. it's a similar planet to. It's, it's, it's close by yeah, Amazons. I can't remember. And it, they look like elephants, actually. They look like elephants with like these truck oh, legs and everything. Okay. And you hear someone say, oh, look, there's Ant Beast. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's all we get. But yeah. on that world and that species, they can't see. They, they can't hear? They can't, well, they can't. They don't understand what seeing something is. They just... They just have a. They, they know just know is, they what know it is. everything is just as is. Yeah, they just know what things are. They're the ultimate ultimate Taoist. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they know what it is without seeing. They don't see difference. They don't see sameness. They just see what is, which was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So I, I miss the ant beast. Uh, I know I think too. Got off on tangent on ant beast, yeah. but that's kind of like what you were saying well, with like you know a, just try, trying to see things as they are and how everything is is um valuable including our faults and that has always been the theme for a wrinkle in time i feel Mm -hmm. so well and just a little bit more about the ant beast section is in in the book they they actually the father uh they abandon charles wallace and and then they go to this other they they test her to this other planet where Ant Beast is and it makes so they're mad all, at him. Yeah, so, and Meg nearly dies because the it almost kills her and um they're all they all needed this this time with Ant Beast to How about breathing. Kind of, they all well, yeah, well and they all needed to get have this time with Ant Beast to heal and get to know each other. Like Meg is dealing with the anger of of her dad of her dad abandoning her and um and then the anger of feeling like she is helpless and and aunt beast helps her realize her potential well there's a lot of talk about potential in the book and the movie but uh, aunt beast helps her realize her potential uh whereas in the movie she just sort of realizes it on herself uh, by herself when she talks about her it's faults totally awesome. It is yeah, well, also good. We so, could have, we could have used so another forty minutes, Disney. <laughs> we could, yeah. But it, it was. I could go either way. I think they did an okay job. But, uh, but Aunt Beast, I I remember as a kid, I really liked that that section of the book. I think since we were talking about how hard it is to interpret, um, kind of introspective moments in books, I think that would have been a really difficult scene yeah. to portray visually probably true because in the 2004 when they did it it was kind of creepy yeah, this is creepy <laughs> it was kind of creepy yeah because no, she's got tentacles and oh yeah. we should talk but about talking about oh we should talk about the, the happy medium how they portrayed that because that was completely oh, yeah. absolutely different than 
I thought it was really cool with the balancing of the rocks and mm-hmm. finding the balance and and relaxing to 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 be able to to see and feel everything honestly. I thought that was really cool. I didn't I didn't get any of that from the book before. It was just you have a seer and you don't you let the seer do their job <laughs> and you're not doing a job. So I, I, I thought that was a really cool visual. And, and I thought Zach Galifant, Galifant, Galif, I can't say his last name. <laughs> and, and, and this cute little man bun. Yeah, I know. And it, I thought it was interesting because a lot of the times the happy medium is portrayed as like a non-binary character, Yeah, you know? And at first I wasn't sure how I felt about them not doing that this, but I really liked it because we need that balance and we need positive male figures in movies. And for the first time, I didn't feel like, you know, I, it didn't make me mad. Like, I, I appreciated it. Well, and he, he had so much heart, too. Yeah. And I was, like, really surprised by how quickly I liked him. And that's really hard too. to do in a movie. Like, oh, my God, this guy is, like, has these feelings for this character and is, like, really invested in this this child. Mm-hmm. Um, and like he's crying for her and crying for what's happening. Um, and even though it was very quick, it was had a very big impact. Yeah. And when Meg hugged him at the end, mm-hmm. I thought that was such a great moment because she was so unbalanced. And so he helped her gain this balance in order to understand how she was feeling. And then she was able to express that um, with that hug, which I thought was so... Great. Or, or like it putting his arms on her, like yeah. like showing him how to hug yeah. and him just kind of going with it, which I also thought was kind of one of those, again, like this movie has all these really tiny, lovely moments of like right. big impact. And it was like so small, but it was like he was just willing to go there. Yeah. Or like, and it was I'm like a consent too, like yeah. please hug me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I really loved that moment. Um, I kind of want to ask you all about um, the scene uh, with the it. I personally liked the interpretation of um, kind of being within the neural pathways mm. rather than the image of like a big brain right, like resting right. on a bed or a <laughs> table or whatever. Um, but that was a really interesting scene. It was pretty dark and a little scary when the the tendrils were like grabbing Meg and yeah. throwing her around. Um, but and then having her kind of see her alternate self. What did you all think about that scene and and how it brought the denouement kind of to a head? In that scene, yeah, I I, want to go ahead and, like, this this is the same thing, but when Meg sees her ideal self, you know, this whole self-image thing, like, we want to be somebody else who we're not. And, you know, and she just wants to be somebody else. And then she finally realized, oh, no, I don't want to be that. But as an ethnic person myself, seeing Meg, who is this girl of color with curly hair, looking at her ideal self of this, like, westernized, straightened hair, um, Disney, you know, how do you say that? Persona? I mean, yeah, is, is it a persona? Like, I think Disney has that. The way she looked is kind of typical. Of, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's stereotypical like look of like what Disney young teenagers look like. But to like have that, have her look at that and say, that is not my ideal self. I am my ideal self. That really hit me hard because, you know, growing up as a person of color from another country, especially the Philippines, 
we are told that pale skin is better, you know, and, you know, don't stay in the sun because you get too brown or you'll get ugly. You know, that was just really affirming for me, for sure. And well, even I, know if, there's oh, a, I know there's a whole bunch of other... Um, because the original Meg in the book, you know, she was redhead. She, she felt the same way. This is an ongoing theme in young women books, like Anna Green Gables, same thing. She wanted dark raven hair, you know, because red was ugly. Just like the self-hate that girls grow up in is a common theme, and it's time to break out of it. <laughs> Well, or even the way they portray, like when she was looking at that ideal self, the way the actress or the actor when she was acting, yeah. um, and just sort of how being different would completely alter the DNA of her in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, that like it was so well acted, and it was like a, a creepy. It was like you wouldn't be you. Like what makes you you? And it kind of reminds me of that scene with Mrs. Who. Is like think about all the u- the expanse of the universe and all the things that had to happen to congeal in this one moment that created you. That was amazing. You know, and uh, and then just kind of like thinking uh, thinking about that. And like and the hair was mentioned a lot throughout the film, which I thought was yeah, amazing. Yeah, and, it's, and it's, it is a whole image thing. I mean, even her neighbor who was like, you know, the ideal, you know, she had her own problems. She had written on her mirror, like you can't eat this kind of food and you're fat and stuff like that. I mean, everyone has those self-image self-hatred the self-hatred translated to being a bully yeah and i love and i always love it and this is this is from the book to to now calvin like saying aberrations is what makes us beautiful oh yeah that was so good calvin is a really great character i think i was swooning over calvin i think the movie did a really good job with having him be this background support for Mm -hmm. meg he wasn't this like typical male hero character who's rushing in and trying to save the girl he really just hangs back the whole time and just waits for meg's instruction and he never questions her um and i i don't know if i interpreted this um strangely but um the point when they get to when they get separated from Charles Wallace and they're at the stream, you know, they slowly have been losing layers of clothing. Yeah. Oh yeah, I noticed and that too. So I I was thinking about that in terms of their relationship, in terms of them sharing things with each other and kind of stripping down the barriers, the barriers and really just seeing each other just in the open air and Again, right, even he, that, even that, like the, the quick glimpse of him, like trying to put his other shirt on, I was like, eh, I don't yeah, need that. Exactly. And <laughs> I, I did. Thought, I did have a moment there where I was like, Oh, I hope this doesn't mean he's going to take his shirt off of it. I mean, because I was like, Wait, please don't do that. Yeah, and he did it, which <laughs> and he great. didn't. So, well, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, well, also too, like uh, it's interesting that you say that because like a lot of times I feel like hoodies, especially. I don't know. I remember being in middle school and the hoodies was like my blanket. It was my shield. It was my way of, I don't want, yeah, I don't want anyone to see me. And I thought that was, I'm, I'm really fascinated about hoodies in general and how people are starting to put that in films and really, mm-hmm. maybe they're thinking about it. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it's really interesting. She lost, she got rid of her security blanket. And so they're just like being very vulnerable with one another. 
talking about going back to her like her faults and like that being a really important thing like her suspicion and not trusting and being cautious really saved mm-hmm. her and Kaz a lot Camelot it's like Camelot but it's like ooh maybe it is Camelot but it's the underbelly of Camelot the upside down the upside down so yeah anyway yeah all these other illusions we're bringing to it I really also loved the very last Tesser um, because we got to see oh, Meg yeah. struggling with the Tesser and feeling trapped and feeling like she didn't know what was happening and feeling suffocated. And at the pain. end, she just has this amazing, I'm going to start crying, uh, this amazing journey where it's full of light and sh- it's joyous and glorious. And she gets to finally experience the beauty of this whole journey. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was such a beautiful way to end that part of the journey. And she gets to experience it on her own because she creates it and she jumps in head first. And I thought that was so beautiful. Can we talk about the light a bit? And this the what? Can we talk about the light? The light. Yes. And yeah. this ongoing <laughs> theme. The yeah, this this ongoing theme in a lot of the movies that we've been seeing. So we have Wrinkle in Time, we have Annihilation, we have Star Wars The Last Jedi, and we have Wonder Woman and Black Panther. Black yes. Panther. Yeah, I kept thinking about Last Jedi during this movie about yeah. about uh, Rose Tico and what she says. We, we don't win by destroying what we hate, but by saving what we love. And I kept thinking about that when Meg was save, saving Charles Wallace by, you know, just repeatedly, I love you and, and, and you love me. And that's our connection. We have this and, and um, that's what destroys what this outside darkness, which also made me think of the Buffy scene with Sander and Dark Willow, um, mm. <clears throat> which I digress. I but th- it's just... <laughs> And and we talked about this too a little bit uh, yeah, about right. the light and that um, it it tends. What I'm noticing is that this this sort of saving the world with the light uh, tends to be a more feminine ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that when when there's a a male protagonist or hero, uh, he doesn't usually see those options it's more it's a little more violent it's a little more forceful whereas uh the 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 women the female the feminine tends to be more uh which is happening in a lot about the love and the connection and 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 you know saving as many people instead of just destroying something but saving something which is happening a lot in these themes with these these powerhouse women movies ghostbusters even you know, yeah. it was all about saving your love. So. Um, oh yeah, yeah, and the, like the difference between then Meg and her dad, how they each mm-hmm. uh, approach the it right. and the black the black thing. They don't really call it the black thing in the movie, um, but you know the and and the and oh and her and her parents had that whole conversation too in the beginning where the dad is like, no, we got to go do this and and and. I don't care that no one understands, and it's all about it's like, all no, about the no science. And nobody's ready. Nobody's, nobody's ready to hear this. Nobody's ready to hear. She, yeah, and she's, she's like, you know, they're like, not ready, and it's still. It doesn't mean it's not important. It doesn't just, mean that we're not great either. Yeah, it doesn't mean that we're not great. So, uh, yeah, it was definitely um, a difference in approach to science and connection, and and where love fits into science. 
which I really, really love that. Well, and that's why I, I, I really wanted to talk. I know like the light, but also like the sound and the science aspect of it. Oh, yeah. So the somatics. And yeah, the, the somatics. Um, sonoluminescence. Oh, my God. And a star in a jar. <laughs> Holy geek out. I don't know what those words mean. I don't know. I, I have no um, idea. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Janae well, and I will take this yeah, one. Well, well, yeah. Well, we'll break this down. So um, kind of going with um, the, the their conversation and uh, science. And I think that's one thing that like as scientists sometimes forget is that they get caught up in what they know and understand and the way they relate to the world. And sometimes science, it's not about the science. It's about how people communicate science that I think gets, is what's the problem is that you have a lot of people saying this is the truth. And I know this is truth because of the scientific process, but no one knows what the scientific process is. It's magic Mm. to them. And I thought that was what was really interesting about the movie is that there is like this, this sort of relationship of of the science being mystical in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fantasy story, but it's also a science fiction story. And there's a lot of like real relatable science in terms of bending and folding time, mm-hmm. of um, using sound and like sound, especially that there's a lot of more into the like frequency. Yeah, and there, well, not just like from like the metaphorical aspect mm-hmm. of finding the right frequency, but also there's so much science that's really talking about the importance of sound and like space travel, mm-hmm. um, the DM drive of like using sound to propel ships or using sound to fold space to to be able to travel. I think it's really important too to show. Meg and her mother being very scientifically minded, like we don't ever get that. Um, it's not magic; it's physics, right? It's physics, but we never, we never get these like lovely portrayals of women of color in in science roles. Absolutely, um, or even like Meg not, you know, not being like a stereotypically portrayed woman of colors. Like she got mm-hmm. to be vulnerable and um, vulnerable and awkward vulnerable and awkward and and all of those different things and really seeing like she knew all this the science knew all this physics she had um that was part of what her parents handed down to her and it saved her in a lot of situations and i thought it was really cool just this beautiful blend of of science and magic yeah and like and like you know also pe- people of color women you know in stem it's like even in the end when he comes back you know he goes to his wife and it was just like your formula worked yeah it was yours so the infinitesimally small thing Mm -hmm. is what is what got me to shake hands with the universe right and i also thought that was also lovely beautiful marriage of ideas is that Especially in science. Cells, planets. <laughs> Cells, planets. Same thing. Um, especially with science, a lot of times, too, it's like there's this constant concept of, like, everything that's out in the universe, the, the larger and more expansive we get, we can find in the most tiny subatomic particle of a cell. And so maybe the answer to the universe, the answer to time travel and folding space is, like, our, our, the DNA, like, inside ourselves. Mm. And I thought that was... So sickening. Yeah. I think um, that would be a really good segue into our next roundtable where we talk about annihilation. Dun-dun-dun. Yes. Because there's a hundred billion galaxies that stretch across the sky filled with constellations, planets, moons, and stars. And still the universe extends to a place that never ends, which is maybe just inside a little jar. It's a great big universe and we're all really puny. We're just tiny little specks about the size of Mickey Rooney. Though we don't know how we got here, we're important part here. It's a big 